Jesus, we uh, are, are very, very grateful for a place to be able to meet in and for the work that you're doing in Denver. And uh, through Calvary Roar, Lord, I, I just listened to the station today and was listening to Ed answer questions, Jesus, and uh, what a great ministry that you are doing through our church in the city, Lord. It is uh, amazing. Uh, and Lord, none of it is through our efforts, but we pray it would be all through your spirit. Lord, I pray for our campus. I pray for any other campuses that may happen in the future, Jesus, that everything we do would be a work of your spirit, Lord. Never would it be our efforts. Lord Jesus, we uh, pray that you, you would teach us through your word tonight, that you would be our great um, God that, that helps us to bear fruit of righteousness to you, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we come in and maybe we've been carrying burdens and maybe we've been trying really hard. And Lord, I just pray that we would cast our burdens upon you because your burden is light and your yoke is easy, Lord. And when we come to you and we just trust you and we stop our striving, Lord Jesus, you are so glorified. When we tr- put our hope in you, our trust in you. So, Lord, that's what we do. Lord, I pray for all those who are hurting tonight. Lord, those who are, can barely focus because of the pain that they're in, both physically and emotionally, Lord, relationally. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, I pray you would be the king of those things tonight. Lord, you would just be full of good works and grace in our hearts tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, tonight's Bible study is called Too Important to Love. Too important to love. Look around. Look around our room. And, and some of you have never met anyone in here before, and that's all right. But some of you know quite a few of the people in here. So look around. Do you see all these people? We got different shapes, different sizes, different um, uh, ages and personalities. And here's the question. Do you love them? Do you love these people in this room? Even the weird ones. Even the annoying ones. Even the mean ones. We might even have some mean ones in here. That's all right. I wasn't pointing any fingers at all. I promise you. I wasn't even thinking about anyone. Uh, Even the hurting ones. Do you love them? Or are you too important to love them? Hmm. Do you think in your mind, I don't have time for these people. I don't even know why I'm here. (laughs) I don't have the resources to deal with their problems. After all, look at my problems. My problems are so important. My problems are so difficult. My problems rule the day. My problems are what I need to focus on. Is that what we think? Well, as we've been studying through Galatians and, and, and waging this war on legalism, we have learned that we have been freed. We've been set free from the prison of thinking about ourselves. We've been set free. And after all this freedom that we've been given, we need to keep a humble mind. We've been freed from the law to try to keep the law for righteousness. And we've learned many, many times in different ways about how we've been freed from the law. 
We've been freed from sin's power and dominion in our life. We no longer have to sin. We always have God's spirit that will help us if we call upon him. And so we can, all of that freedom has been given to us so that you can look around this room and love each other. That you can lovingly serve each other. That we can never stop serving one another even when we're tired of serving one another. Never stop. That's what all this freedom that we've been learning about gives us. It gives us the freedom to love. So let's look at our verse that we're going to look at tonight. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3. It says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I'm going to read to you guys from the New Living Translation, which a lot of times gives a lot of um, clarity to me when I'm reading. Uh, So I'm going to read to you, and it kind of will help us go a certain direction. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Do you ever think you'd hear the Bible say that? You're not that important. You're like, wait a second. I thought when I go to church, I would hear how great I am and how important I am. And here's a verse telling me the opposite. You're not too important to love someone. David Guzak says it's often pride that keeps us from ministering to one another as we should. The focus of the statement isn't that we are nothing. That's not the actual focus of the statement. It's not the the root message that we're trying to get across here is you guys are lame. You guys are dumb. That's not what we're getting across. It's that's the the expected or the plain truth. Um, We bring nothing to the table and we don't deserve to be served. The focus is actually uh, that those who think they need to be served are deceived. If you think that you need to be served, you're deceived. That's the real focus of this verse. Uh, It's kind of like saying, I'm more important than you, so I'm not going to serve you. You should be serving me. But let me tell you, and you guys know, that's how relationships get ruined. That's how marriages end up in divorce. That's how everything breaks. Amen? How many marriages work awesome when they expect to be served? by the other person. Very, very few. Uh, Calvin said, the meaning is like this, the meaning of this verse. Since all men are nothing, he who wishes to appear something and persuades himself that he is somebody deceives himself. It sounds like pride. It says here he deceives himself. There are few things more self-deceptive than pride. To be proud is to be blind, blind to the freely given favor and gifts of God, blind to our sin and depravity, blind to the good in others and blind to foolishness and self-centeredness. I'm going to read a verse to you in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18, and we'll, we'll turn there a little later and look at it more closely. But it says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
Harvard graduates are at a very high risk of deceiving themselves. Why? Because they get this degree that says they're smart. They get a piece of paper that says they're somebody. And they can get places in this world with that piece of paper, can't they? I'd like to have that piece of paper. Maybe. Not, maybe not now. But when I was jobless, unemployed, that would have been a nice piece of paper to have on my wall. Harvard saying, this guy's smart. But in reality, true wisdom, it's, in reality, that's only the wisdom of this age, that verse says. They get, they're getting their wisdom from men and so-called science. But true wisdom comes from the Lord only. The wisdom of being in a right relationship with the Lord, or what we know as the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom, right? So, another verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, says, If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. So, that means we're all growing. None of us have arrived. None of us have grown so much that we are no longer totally dependent on Jesus for absolutely everything. You know, we think somehow that we're going to grow up and we're going to leave our dependence upon Jesus. But that's not the way Christianity works. That's not what the way the Bible works. The Bible says, as we grow in the Lord, we grow in our dependence on the Lord. We start to see how great it is to depend on him and see him come through for us. And so we throw ourselves out there more with less nets, with jumping over more bridges, you know, taking more risks for the Lord. Because the whole time he's writing a resume of his faithfulness in our life. Every day and every time we step out and we trust him and say, okay, God, you say this, so I'm going to do it, even though that seems like a joke to me. That seems like ridiculous. And that seems foolish to this world. I'm going to do it because I'm trusting you. And that's true wisdom. It's growing in dependence on the Lord. And then another verse that we're going to look at real quick. Romans chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Kind of towards the end of Romans right there. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And then if you go down to verse 16 of Romans chapter 12, it says, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Associate with the humble. Wow, what a verse. It means if you're picking friends, pick the most humble people that you can find. That means the people who can't repay you back. And there are certain people that you feel cool when you hang out with them. Like I got to hang out with so-and-so and you start to name drop them. Well, me and Pastor Ed were talking. Or, I don't know, I don't really know anyone else cool, but... <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe Ian was talking with me. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, it's like we think 
that we get something from those relationships just by being with them. But the word says you're, the greater value is by hanging out with someone and being with someone who's hum, humble. Not to set your mind on growing uh, bigger, but on becoming smaller. And you know what happens? The weirdest thing happens. The more you seek out the humble, the more the Lord starts to exalt you. He, the humble starts saying, man, you're a pretty good friend. I like hanging out with you. And the Lord starts bringing ministry into your life and you start being able to bless them. But he says here, do not be wise in your own opinion. And I'm going to add this. In other words, don't be like Satan. Don't be like Satan. Don't deceive yourself like Satan did. We're going to look at Satan for a few minutes here and and talk about how he is the absolutely perfect example of this verse in our life. Of, of what happens to us and what we can so easily be sucked into by wanting to hang out with the cool people or wanting to be letting our pride grow. It helps explain the greatest deception of the greatest of deceivers, Satan himself. If there was anyone who thought himself to be something when he is nothing, it was Satan both before and after his fall. If there was anyone who deceives himself, surely it was Satan who works on and on against God in the self-delusion that he may one day triumph. Isn't that weird? Doesn't that just blow your mind that Satan is still trying to beat God today? I mean, I would have given up long ago. I would have just said, you win. I think of that scene in Star Wars when the Gungans are fighting and Jar Jar Binks, the, the commander is telling him, you know, fight strong. And Jar Jar Binks is just like, I give up. There's no effort. Anyway, Star Wars geeks, you can rejoice with me in that. I know, right there. <laughs> anyway, Satan is so deceived that he's still rebelling against God, still fighting against God, even today. So turn with me to Isaiah 14, and we're going to look at how Satan is the perfect picture of self-deception and rebellion. Self-deception and rebellion. Look with me at Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 16. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Lucifer was a name for Satan. That was his, I guess, pre-evil name or something. Uh, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? So Satan wants to ascend. That's his goal. He wants to ascend, not descend or serve anymore. If he had a, 
a mantra. It would be, I'm going up, not going down. But yet, Jesus says, you will go down. He didn't want to serve anymore. He didn't want to lead the other angels in worship. He wanted to be served. So we see here that this was kind of his, his job when he was created, was to be the worship leader in heaven. You know, we have a worship leader in church, and we get up and we sing some songs, and, and everyone sings with us, and it's a, it's, a, it's a place of honor. It's a place where, um, you, you know, people see you. And I guess up in heaven, it was the same way. Satan was the worship leader. It says in other places in the scriptures, his whole body was a musical instrument. He had pipes and timbrels, it said. I don't even know what timbrels are, but he had them. And so his, whole, he, his entire being was created to worship the Lord and, and to serve the other angels as their worship leader. But he didn't want that. He wanted to be served. And when we get the same heart, we join Satan in his rebellion. Isn't that crazy? When we uh, uh, have that same heart, we're walking with him. We're walking in his ways, not in Jesus' ways. Wanting to be served. When we are wanting to be loved. When we are wanting to be respected. You see, Jesus does love us. And his love should be enough for us. God does love you. God does like you even. He thinks you're pretty cool. Even if you feel like you don't deserve it. I want you to notice in these, script, this, these verses we read, there was five I will statements of Satan. The five I will statements. You've heard of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. Well, these are the five I will statements of Satan. It's the essence of the self self focused and self-obsessed life. Number one, he said, I will ascend into heaven. Or in other words, heaven is going to be my home, my place of honor. It's going to be my residence. My name is going to be on the mailbox in heaven. Number two, he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. In other words, I will be enthroned and will be exalted above all the other angels. Number three, I will sit on the mount of the congregation. In other words, I will sit in the place of glory and honor and attention. It's going to be up like kind of on a mountain. Number four, I will ascend above the heights. In other words, I will continue to rise even in heaven until all see me in my bright shining glory. And the fifth one, he says, I will be like the most high. I will be glorious and will be set equal to God, far above all the other created beings. David Guzak says, We see in these statements not so much a desire to exalt oneself above God, but the desire to exalt oneself above one's peers. From this passage, it seems that Satan's desire was not so much to be above God, but to be honored and regarded as the highest angel above the other stars of God. Receiving the glory and attention one would receive being next to God or equal with God or like the Most High. 
We don't have to want to be exalted higher than God to be like Satan. It's just the desire to be better than other people that makes us like Satan. So he says, it's not that I want to be better than you, God. I just think I'm better than all these other jokers. That's what Satan says. We get even more insight into this guy, Satan, in the book of Ezekiel. So turn in your Bible to Ezekiel. And we're going to see the story of how God deals and how God dealt with the rebellion of Satan. Ezekiel chapter 28. So find that in your Bible. And you'll see another story or narrative of of, um, Satan here. Chapter, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14. He says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. And your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. So look there, when he says, I established you, and you were created. God didn't make a mistake when he created Satan. God created him with a certain amount of beauty, and with a role, and with a job. But the problem is, and God made him beautiful, God made him full of splendor. But the problem is the iniquity that destroyed everything Satan was created for. That iniquity was born in Satan's heart. It was from his heart. His heart was, it says, his heart, verse 17, was lifted up because of his beauty. And God's having a conversation with him. He can tell him exactly what happened. You were so beautiful. Your heart got lifted up. And you were corrupted. And because his heart grew prideful, It became rebellious against God's authority and order, and he became deceived. His own self-importance deceived him. And that's why our message is too important to love. Whenever we feel that we are important or too important to love the person next to us, we are going the same direction. And we're about to be cast down because God can't let pride corrupt us. He's fighting for purity in your life. And so he'll bring things into your life to help you not be so prideful. Um, Let's look at what the New Testament says about this. We're going to look at several verses real quick from the New Testament. We already read 1 Corinthians 3.18, but I want you to go ahead and turn there now and see what that says. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 18. 
So let it says, let no one deceive himself like Satan did. I'm adding the, that phrase like Satan did. Let no one deceive himself like Satan deceived himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Look at Second Timothy, chapter three, verse 13. Second Timothy three, 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I'll add again, like Satan did. Evil men and imposters, he says, fakers, not truly spiritual. We've been we've been we've talked about these people before, haven't we, in the study of Galatians? We've seen these evil men and these imposters, these fakers, and we've we've identified them as being those in Galatians that were legalistic because those are all the the descriptions of legalism. It's instead of being truly spiritual, it's being faking spirituality. It's faking having a real relationship with God by just trying to follow the rules. So instead of them really knowing God as their savior, they're just trying to follow the rules. They're like, okay, I'm trying to keep this rule and trying to not break that rule. But it says here that that type of thinking grows into being an evil and evil man and an imposter. And it gets worse and worse in your life if you let that um, grow, that way of thinking, that legalism. And it, it grows worse and worse and it leads people away from the true gospel of grace towards a false gospel of legalism. Look with me at James chapter 1. Verse 22, James 1, 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. And I'll add again, like Satan did. What did Satan do? Well, he definitely wasn't a doer of the word. He heard the praise, didn't he? He heard all the praise that was in heaven. He was leading the worship. They were singing glory, hallelujah. I don't know what song it was, but it was awesome. All these angels and Satan heard it, but he didn't do it. And that can be the same thing with us. It could be the same thing with me singing. If I I could be up here playing my guitar and singing, and if I'm not really doing it, what does it say I'm doing? I'm deceiving myself. I'm deceiving myself. Now, it's one thing if we are deceived by someone else. You heard the phrase, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? But what if we're the one tricking ourselves? We're the one deceiving ourselves. That's not the way we want to go. So also look at verse 26 of James chapter 1. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, again, like Satan did, this one's religion is useless. You think Satan's religion ended up being useless? Yeah. Because of his rebellion, because he was deceived. His pride. Pride says, I don't have to be a truly spiritual person. I can just fake it. And that's what Satan was doing, right? He got to a point where he was faking it. 
He wasn't exalting God and lowering himself. He was trying to get up, even though he was still singing. He was trying to exalt. And that got, got him cast out. And then we'll look at another verse, 1 John 1, 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves like Satan did. I added that again. And the truth is not in us. Pride says, I have no sin. I'm doing just fine. But in reality, they're faking it. Humility draws us close to repentance, draws us in to a close relationship with God through repentance. But pride says, I don't need to repent. I'm going to delay my repentance. Think about David. How long did he go with his sin with Bathsheba? How long did he exist that way? A year without relationship with God. He went a year without really talking with God. Do you think David went to church during that year? Yeah. Do you think he made sacrifices during that year? Yeah. Do you think he even tried to pray during that year? Yeah. But none of it meant anything. He was faking all of it. He was faking every single bit of it until he humbled himself and repented of the sin in his life. It didn't matter. None of those things. It's not that God was angry with him and God was vindictive and saying he needed to suffer for a year. God wanted it to be over in one day. God was willing to take him back the day he repented. But David spent a year in rebellion. And he was so sorry afterwards. Read Psalm 51 after, and, and read about, or Psalm 51 or 52, and read about David's heart and how his heart was hurting, his bones were aching, and he just felt like he was dead because of that relationship was strained and, and really cut off because of the sin. So pride just keeps us from that relationship with Jesus. So today... We are shining a light on a lie. We're fighting against a deception inside of us called pride, arrogance, self-pleasing, and self-preservation. And the more uh, uh, that we are more important than our spouse or our neighbor or our friends or our brothers or even our enemies, that we are too important to love everybody else in this world. Love as in agape love a self-sacrificing love. Not just a brotherly love, but that self-sacrificing love. And the last thing we're going to look at is way back in the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 4. Just go all the way to the beginning and turn right just a little. This is such a vital lesson that God didn't even let us get through five chapters in the Bible before he taught us about it. Genesis chapter 4. First book in the Bible. It says, Now Adam knew, his, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Very literal, that lady was. Then she bore again, and this time his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your, why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass while they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Look around this room again. Also, think about the people you're connected to in your life. Have you ever thought, they're not my responsibility? When they sin, what do you do? Two studies ago, we learned about how to love them. How to love a brother when he's caught up in a sin, right? To draw them back into that loving relationship with Jesus. What about when they're going through a trial? Not just sin, but when they're just going through a trial. Well, the last time we got together, we studied that. That we take their burdens off. Not add burdens on. We relieve stress. We don't add stress onto them. If these are your go-to responses, then there is a very real heart issue in your life. A general yet deadly attitude of pride that needs to be repented of. We cannot just come to church and avoid everyone if we're having a bad day. We come to serve. We come here to love each other. To get our eyes off of ourselves like Satan wants them to be and onto others. The verse, again, that we started on was, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And I hope that through this study, as we have dived into that verse, that you guys have a very clear idea of what it means now. That's why I love verse-by-verse teaching. I love expositional teaching. I love church where we can come and study the word and really get in to what he has for us today. I didn't intend on teaching one verse in a, in a Galatians Bible study. We go through Galatians. But this is what the Lord had for us today. I'm very excited about it. Um, so, are we too important to love those around us? Well, we shouldn't be. We should be all about loving each other, loving the most humble, the ones who can't give us anything back. The ones who can't pump up my ego. The ones who I get nothing out of talking to. Love them. Love them, love them, love them. Like Jesus. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, you um, are so faithful to speak to us and to, to 
teach us, maybe even to bring correction. Lord, I know I could be more loving. And God, I I beg you for that fruit to appear in my life of being more loving all the time. Lord, I ask you that um, you would transform our city through the love in this church. Lord, I know many of the people in here, God, and I know that you have worked love in their life, God, and I pray you would make us on fire for loving people, loving the least, Lord, loving the kids in the back, loving the people who don't come to this church, loving our trash man, loving our mailman, loving our parents and our brothers and sisters and our families and even our enemies, God. Just fill us with love. Make us more like you, Jesus. And Lord God, protect us from deceiving ourselves like Satan did. And he, had the, he, was, he was better than all of us. He was created with glory and honor and with a role serving you. And God, it was all destroyed and cast down. And good, the same thing can happen in my life and in any of our lives, Jesus if we let pride control us. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you again and again and again for dying for us on the cross. Lord, you have bought us, and the way we behave should reflect that. We want to love people. In your name, Jesus, amen.